The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right world view and acting upon it. The world view that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God's truth in today's society from a multi-generational pastoral perspective. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of Aletheia Bible Fellowship's Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful content and insights. We're produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about us. At the top of the show today, let's remember to help us spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and join our Facebook group, where you can stay up to date on this and all our programming. You can find it at vrn.abf on Facebook. Now that all that's said, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. And welcome to Truth Time. This is Pastor Monty, and we are going to be delving right into where we left off. Well, partially, actually, because um, we are in uh, the week where we are in the Old Testament. So we're going to be talking about the flood and about uh, what Scripture has to say in Genesis chapter 6. This week and then next week we go back into Second Thessalonians, or First Thessalonians, and then uh, we're also going to be spending some time uh, taking up the issue of submission and uh, developing that a little bit more. So let's get right to it uh, in the Christ Factor. So let me read for you uh, from Genesis chapter six. And uh, then we'll briefly discuss. Uh, we'll briefly discuss what Scripture has to say uh, in regard to um, the flood and what happened at, at that time. And um, so, when the human population began to grow rapidly on the earth, the sons of God saw the beautiful women of the human race and took any they wanted as their wives. And then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with uh, humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh, and in the future they will live no more than 120 years. Now in those days and even afterwards, giants lived on the earth, for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with human women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes mentioned in legends of old. 
Now, God of well, okay, let's stop there for a second because that's plenty of uh, that's plenty of material to discuss. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. <laughs> so there's a couple things that uh, we're talking about here, uh, in particular. Then, um, before the flood, the population on the earth grew. Now, keep in mind that what we understand from Scripture is that when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden and people begin to populate the uh, the earth that um that there was uh, no limitation as it were uh, on the age of people at that point and so we have record of individuals uh uh living well into the uh you know uh, 7 8 900 years old um, and and so you know because of that we understand that 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 was possible that's probably the reason why <laughs> that's probably the reason the why you have uh, uh, television shows that have been based upon people who live for long long times like uh, what was a Highlander Josh I think is one of those yep that's Highlander classic yeah yeah, uh, the, the, uh, and of course he would be a Scott. Uh, what is it, uh, McLeod, right? Well, it depends on what you're talking about. So you've got Connor McLeod, who's in the t- who's in the movies, and then you have Duncan McLeod, who's in the series. A lot of people uh, like Duncan better. And then there's the non-mentioned animated series with Quentin McLeod, but he's an alien. Uh, it just depends on your so, depends on your fandom. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, so it's the McLeod clan. Yes, um, okay, it's the so... clan McLeod. Oh, I I stand uh, corrected. It's Duncan of the Clan McLeod. Yeah, got it, got it, got it. Okay, so <laughs> so what so what we know from Scripture is that yes, uh, it was understood that mankind um, didn't die quickly, but they grew rather old, and and so because of that, um, they they. they uh, that remember that what happened in the garden is that is that the things were kind of reversed and so the spiritual nature of man excuse me the spiritual nature of man was was uh diminished and the physical nature of man was increased and so self became dominant and so can you imagine where you have people living for uh seven and eight, nine hundred years old, and they're still uh, spry and able, and they can get into all kinds of trouble. Sure. And so that's what was happening. The earth was multiplying, and people were, were growing, and mankind was having issues. And then on top of that, there seemed to be at this point less of an interaction uh, excuse me. More, I, I more, with, more of an interaction with demonic between, between uh, mankind and uh, the spiritual world. Right. And so, what we have an indication here is that the uh, angels that had fallen um, took uh, they they liked what they saw in the creation of women. And so they uh, they had the sexual relations with women, and the byproduct of that were giants. 
right. that on the earth. Yeah. Now, some people, some people might respond to that and say, well, um, wow, really? <laughs> really? You believe that? Um, but there's, but, but there's uh, some, if we look into history and we look at the history of man, uh, it should be noted that while, uh, that some cultures um, elevated those uh, stories to an understanding of how it is that they came, or to their origins. For example, the Greeks. Right. You know, so so the Greeks had it. The the Greeks had it, and we understand it as Greek mythology. Yeah. And 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 yet there's an understanding there that there was this interaction between uh, what they understood to be gods, and and there were byproducts of that. Uh, for example, like the the story of Hercules. Right. So you have the Titans, and then you have the demigods. Um, and you can find those all throughout varying cultures, especially in the ancient cultures, the like yes. the cultures of Mesopotamia. And um, there's also – I can't remember the names of them, but there's an interesting read. There's a guy named Michael Heiser. He's the – I think he's the staff – like the resident um, PhD for the, the Logos Bible software. And okay, yeah. And he – and he um, does some pretty interesting studies into um, – they're called the Nephilim is what Pastor Monty right, is referring to. Right, that's, right. that's the name of them. They're called the Nephilim. But he does some pretty studies into that uh, – pretty interesting studies in, into that area and sort of you know delving into what these things were, whether they were just actual giants, whether it was – because it is – it's a little bit the, – the terminology doesn't translate well to English when we say the sons of God had – uh, relations with the sons of man. So especially when you take into account like Daniel and the term sons of man and or son of man and what that means. And, um, but it's, it's really, it's really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's super interesting. I do yeah. think, I do think that what is interesting about it is that you can find a correlation between a lot of these stories in the ancient world. You can find correlations, uh, about the flood, um, in, in, in other places besides Jewish writings, you can find stories about uh, sort of demigod-type characters um, and uh, sexual demonic activity um, in, in other cultures, and it goes back into the lore of each culture. And you have to ask yourself why it is that if we evolved separately from each other and so on and so forth, why there seems to be certain cultural narratives that are true, like the flood, or like uh, certain monsters that exist in the in the zeitgeist before we had things like the internet that connected us. Why is it that you can go to almost any culture and find a version of a vampire, for instance? So, um, I think that the narrative that makes sense and the biblical narrative um, is that at one point everything was together. You know, at one yeah. point everything was together. That. Uh, people experienced a certain truth, um, and then after culture was separated and spread apart, those truths morphed through the telephone game into you know various ways of telling that truth until you you have these things that have the same core but a completely different dressing. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 it is an interesting study, and I don't think that 
as believers, we should be frightened by it, nor should we just uh, easily dismiss it. There are consequences that come about of it. For example, the place where God says, you know, I'm not going to put up with mankind uh, and his antics uh, all, all this time. I'm going to limit the years to 120. Right. And, and here we see... Um, we see phenomena where we have some individuals that live into like uh, 113 or 114 years old, but we have no record, recent record, of anybody that lives beyond that amount of time. Right. No, we, and, we don't have any record. We don't have any record of, of – we don't have any modern records of it. We have no modern records would be a good place to take. Yeah, in fact, in fact, interestingly enough, there was a woman who was reported to have lived past 120, but I have to find it. But then they discovered that there was something off with her, with her actual date, and they weren't sure. Well, yeah, and they didn't keep records very well uh, in some instances, so a lot of times people were just, you know, speculating about when they might really have been born. But we have nothing in modern records to substantiate people living beyond 120. Now, we have lots of instances where we have people that uh, desire to do so. <laughs> For example, uh, you know, uh, if you're uh, a Floridian, um, you have the opportunity to go visit the Fountain of Youth. Mm, yes. As uh, Ponce de Leon believed it was anyway. In Barataria uh, Bay. So so we do have various uh, uh, people that have tried to find something where they can live beyond 100 and, uh, 120 but we have no we have nothing of that. Now what and so what so so that begs the question why is it that that is so? And Josh you gave some you know your take on things. Let me give you my take on the limiting of the age, I believe that at the flood, and we're going to talk more about uh, the consequence of the flood, but I believe at the flood and through the sons of Noah, there was a, uh, a change by God to the DNA of man. Yeah. And that, and that man, and we understand how DNA works now, uh, a better under we have a better understanding. We've discovered some things about how DNA works. It's a series and, of and, switches that you turn off or turn on. Yeah, exactly. And and or like when we have diseases and things like that, it's exactly that. We know that so that the in the DNA you have the ability uh, certain things to be turned off and turned on. And I believe that God went in and uh, change the DNA of man uh, in order to limit his uh, longevity. That's my personal take on it. Yeah, well, whatever he did, he did it at the genetic level for sure. So yeah. it, it makes sense to, for him to operate within his own structure, within the way that he created things. So yeah, I think that that, I think that, that seems like a fairly simple and uh, elegant, if not obvious, solution to, to how he would you know, deal with his own creation and where he wanted it to go. I think that the large truth to be found here is a couple things. Um, 
but the the main thing is going to be that man had gotten to the point in his wickedness where it it was it was so full um you know just imagine like think about think about how people in power um are oftentimes so there's a there's a cliche like like disney's head in a jar have you ever heard of that uh, not particularly, no. Okay, so there's there's these like myths about like, you know, people cryogenically freezing themselves. Um, okay, okay. All the way into our culture, in, you know, our entertainment, where you have these people who are pursuing again, like the Nazis and the Fountain of Youth in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, for instance. You have this idea. Well, yeah, like I just watched the movie with Sylvester Stallone, where he, they, what was that? Uh... Demolition Man. Yeah, demolition man. Yeah, yeah, like this idea that you know, if you don't die, then basically you can do anything you want to over time, and that's what I think is just really interesting to note. Like it seems kind of lame, in a sense, that God would keep us from being able to actuate our full potential. That He would cut us off at 120 years. But the truth is, look at the massive amounts of evil that we're able to do within a 120 year lifespan. Like that's well, what's I, disturbing I, about it. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. And, and, and not only do we see a limitation being there, but I would go farther and say that um, the capability of man as he was first created. And now as God sees this, this uh, evil, uh, fruitful inside of his creation I believe that there are other things that God limited man in uh, as he went in and and, uh, and in my in my case I believe uh, changed our DNA uh, you know th they be they have become to understand that what uh, of our brain we use only like a two or three percent yeah they're always shifting on what we use but it's really clear that we don't use all of it Right, and and when you get into um, and when you get into what what we would understand as occultic activity, and and our ability to to uh, to understand as well as to interact with the uh, spiritual nature of the world in which we live, most people think we just live in a two-dimensional world, but it's not the case. We have the ability. Uh, I believe when God created us, we had the ability to interact on a much, much uh, deeper level. And yet we see in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, where God forbade that type of interaction. But I believe we were created with the ability to be able to do so. Uh, therefore, issues like precognition and... and uh, the ability to levitate and the ability, you know, these different abilities which we put into the category of the occult, uh, and yet um, many of them are not occultic. It just happens to be the um, that that that's uh, we were uh, created with that ability initially. That that's my take on it, at least. Yeah, I think that that's reasonable speculation. I mean, it is speculative. But I think it's reasonable speculation. It's definitely not somewhere to dwell on um, because, like you said, like God prohibits, he forbade us from 
from going in that direction. And I think when you consider when you consider the overwhelming amount of evidence of the uh, superior technology, the fact that um, we have to create narratives and stories where it's like aliens, for instance, who came and did things on the earth because what was done on the earth was so advanced for right. what it had. Um, I think that, you know, one of the options to consider is that man was just that advanced and he's not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's actually, um, he's uh, gone to be with the Lord now, but, but back in the day there was a, uh, an author who was a um, nuclear scientist named Dr. Chittick, and Dr. Chittick speculated that uh, that's the case, that man is not, we, you know, we like to pride ourselves in our modern technology with being smart, but Dr. Chittick says that his belief was is that man's not actually getting smarter, he's getting dumber. <laughs> yes, and, and as the great Wally predicted, I think that there's, you know, possibly some truth to that. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the great wonders of the world, the seven wonders or whatever of the ancient world, prove that, you know, they had some sort of grasp of things. And it's interesting because our grasp of things is derivative. You know, we get our theorems right. and formulas and mathematical equations based upon their theorems and forms and mathematical equations. We get our philosophical ideologies based on the philosophies of ancient philosophers who understood things without all of the without all of our highfalutin sciences and computers and all of these things. So it's it's interesting to 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 look at it. I think what really stands out though is that given time those things would bring us to our destruction at a much quicker rate and I think that God didn't want us to be full in our potential because the fullness of our potential mixed with the corruption of sin leads to destruction all around and God has yeah. a story that he wants to fulfill um, in us and through us and he wants his glory to be shown and essentially it, if we were allowed to to be full in our potential then we would overrun and destroy his canvas uh, before he's able to you know to make it what it needs to be to like to, to salvage it into his great masterpiece and so I think yeah. that you know he limited those things not just for not just because he uh, doesn't like wickedness which I would, I would just say, you know, to those listening, ask yourself what wickedness really means. If God sets the standard for what is wicked and what's righteous, then when we're talking about wicked, what we're really saying is it falls outside the realm of what God wants to happen. Um, yeah. You know, the standard for us isn't arbitrary, but the standard for him is arbitrary in the sense that it's based upon um, his character, that nothing else sets the standard besides him. So yes. So it's it's it it is interesting to to think about and to see, and I I think that the fact that we can't actuate our potential is actually a blessing against the corruption and the wickedness that we had. Imagine you have you know people who have well you don't even have to imagine you have all of these people who have all these psychological and emotional issues who've hooked themselves into drugs and sex and all sorts of things. Then you have these people who have the you know power in the world who've rooted themselves into um, perpetrating crimes against the innocent and so on and so forth. That's the state of the world as it is now. Now imagine that these people don't die. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just be it, 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 it boggles the mind what it would actually look like. 
Uh, let's go ahead and end with this segment with uh, a couple of caveats. Uh, we're going to continue this discussion in two weeks, and we'll get into the particulars of the actual flood and uh, NOAA and looking at what happened there. Uh, my take on in agreement with Josh, uh, my take on, um, on this is that we are getting dumber, is I see that all the time having to deal with uh, millennials in my classroom uh, at the university. <laughs> all right, let's, 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 do a, uh, let's do a quick uh, what's up with that before we get into submission. So, um, you know, I just wanted to mention there's lots of stuff out there, and I didn't bring any, uh, I didn't bring any, um, you know, uh, cutesy little things that I picked off of uh, no stories about animals. Weird news. Uh, but I did want to just mention, for example, there are some things happening which relate to our, our actual culture of what's happening today, particularly with the COVID, uh, you know, the Chinese uh, virus. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I know who the uh, uh, World Health Organization uh, likes to call it COVID, but really it's a Chinese virus. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. Mm, um, the, okay. uh, the 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 reality of it is. I mean, I mean, I I don't know that you can really say that, but you know, that's. I mean, it's a bit like saying. Yeah, like no, some, there's no, It's a bit like saying something came from no America. Question, it's there's some, no like question. There's no question that the virus originated in Wuhan, China. No question. That doesn't make it a Chinese virus. It's a Chinese virus that originated in China. In China? That, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it originated in China. It's Chinese. Okay. okay let's let's move on from there. So so the um, with this lockdown in the United States, um, what we have happening is we have certain individuals who are in power who were never meant to be in power and and by the way this lead this is this almost hangs on what we were talking about just now with the evil that is present in some people all we right. have people who are in power well it's, it's present are, in all people who are making yes except those who are regenerated by the work of uh, Christ's uh, blood um, even then so it's, re it's just retarded like it's slowed you have, down. Yeah, you have you have people who are in power, and they love having that power, and so they do some crazy things. So, for example, in the news this week, it moved rather fast, but in the news this week, we had this uh, individual who needed in Texas who needed to feed her family, and she has a beauty a hair salon, and so she opened her hair salon. Uh, against the governor's order for people to stay in place and not open, uh, not open uh, businesses. But she said, "Hey, we're taking precautions. I have to feed my family. I got to open this." So she opened it, and they sent uh, a restraining order that she needed to stop doing that, and she ignored the restraining order. And so a judge, uh, a local judge had her arrested and demanded that she apologize to him and to the governor uh, for going against the order. And when she said, I can't apologize because I have to feed my family. 
I have to be open. He threw her in jail. Um, and yet, uh, the same, uh, the, and yet in Texas, uh, they are allowing uh, convicted criminals of rape and, and uh, property crimes and, and, and what have you to be let out of the jails. But we have a, but we have a person who, a citizen who simply because she would not grovel before this judge who said, you will apologize to me and you will apologize to the governors, he threw her in jail. And that's definitely a what's up with that. I don't know. I don't think that that's so cut and dry personally. Well, it, 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 it thank you, Josh, because it, it you like that, what by is the way? forcing, Did you well, hear that? what is forcing to happen? No, you didn't, is, you missed it. I said, uh -huh. I don't think that that's so cut and dry. And I said, thank you. I agree no. to some extent. I'm, and there it was a pun. Agree with you. It was a pun. Be, be, yeah, thank you. Be, because no, uh, you, you, Do you get it? Cut and dry it's a it. hair salon? Yeah, I do get it. Okay. I do get it. Continue. I'm glad you didn't throw a wash in there. Okay. okay. So, so, But it does bring up other issues because uh, some people are saying, well, you know, she was in defiance of a of a legal order, and therefore she had to follow that legal order. Well, it's not cut and dry, as Josh said, ha, ha, ha. because because um, governors that this comes down to understanding our legal system. Governors do not make laws. Who make laws? Oh, you're asking me. Yeah, who makes the law? Well, it depends on your process. No, no, no. In the state as well as the federal level, who makes the laws under our system? Well, it depends on how you're looking at it. If you go so far, then it goes down to the people. But obviously, it goes up all the way to the Senate. Yeah, that, well, yeah. So what happens is for those okay, of Okay, so let's not simplify things to try to make your audience look dumb. I'm not dumb no, over no, here. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, for my for my let no, I would never do that. For my legends, for 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 my listeners, look, it's very simple. Although the media tries to cloud the issue, it's very simple. Governors are administrators. The legislature makes the laws. The courts interpret the laws. So when a governor makes a statement of what he wants or doesn't want without fact without the without it going through the legislature it is not a law and it cannot override the constitution of the united states and that meaning that no no governor making a proclamation can tell you that you have to stay in place no governor can tell you that you don't have the right to assembly. No governor can tell you that you don't have the right to speak on issues you disagree with. Those are arbitrary and against the First Amendment, and they have no power in law. Well, that's, so that's, 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 that's an overstatement, though. There are times when the governor can do that. It's just very specific. Well, actually not. No, actually not, Josh. The First Amendment, the, the Constitution of the United States is not overridden 
by any lesser power. Even now, when you're talking, even so when you're talking about, even when you're talking about the Constitution of the United States, though, you're talking about it uh, in this blanket, general, and I might add, sloppy way. Like saying, for instance, that the governor can't tell you that you can't speak the way you want to. But even the Constitution of the United States has been ruled to not protect, for instance, inciting violence. There's like it's it's just not as it's not as cut and dry as you're making it. It, it is more cut and dry than you think, but not than thank I think. You, again, thank you, Josh, because let me clarify that what happens is is when somebody in power tries this type of thing, then what happens is is it goes before the court. So let's say that somebody uh, uh, issues a citation. Mm -hmm. I went to church. Yeah. And because I came to church, the police issued me a citation right. for going to church. Okay. That citation goes before the courts. And rather than capitulating, I say not guilty because the authority, there is no authority of the governor to override my ability to go to church, then the court is forced to weigh this against the Constitution of the United States, right. and it will be thrown out. It may get thrown out. It will be thrown out. And, and, and what's, no, it what's may get thrown out. Look at Roe well, v. Wade. Okay, Josh, Josh, there are legal challenges which are happening right now all over the country of these people who have out your you're assuming that the supreme court you're assuming well, actually, you're, you're you don't you're 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 about you're about to fight back on an argument that i haven't even made yet why don't you hear me out you're assuming in well, your I statement was just substantiate what i was saying you're assuming before. in your statement that the supreme court always makes the right decision always makes the moral decision all of those things and that's simply not true look at roe v wade that doesn't protect the rights of those Americans. It doesn't. In fact, and Roe v. Wade is a has nothing to do with what it was turned into. I understand, but it has been upheld as what it's been turned into for many, many, many years. It's been cited. Yeah, it's it's been the there's a president. Yeah, yeah, there's precedent for it. So th this is the point I'm making. You're saying it will be overturned if it's wrong. I'm saying you can't actually say that. Well, what I can say in the case of the Texas woman is that it went to the Texas Supreme Court. Right, and they ruled in her Texas, favor. And the Texas Supreme Court overturned the judge and ruled in her favor. Right. And the governor <laughs> and the governor of Texas restated his intent and said that no citizen of Texas will be allowed to be put in jail over uh, not following this. Yeah, uh, good for them. I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting time when we look at those types of things. It's definitely a what's up with that. Yeah, well, there's uh, right now in Oregon, there's, um, there's a bunch of churches that are filing a lawsuit saying that the governor doesn't, that the the governor has uh, that Kate Brown has pushed her authority to the, you know, further than she should, and the churches should be allowed to be open right now too. They're absolutely correct. She doesn't have the authority. Yeah. So, uh, what I know is 
during a time like this, when you have all this pressure on you and so on and so forth, it's, it is an impossible task to lead well. And so all these people need prayer. Yeah, we need to pray for wisdom as to how we approach these things. And, and you know, I'm not a big one on um, defying authority for the sake of defying authority. Which is what it quickly turns into. People if like to you're ban, not yeah, people like yes. to bandwagon their own, you know, anti-establishment rhetoric. Yeah, what we I read an article yesterday where there's uh, several police agencies throughout the country, along with um, along with the prosecutors, who are basically saying we will not follow these orders from the governor until we get clarification from the Supreme Court. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, <laughs> we live in an interesting time. Uh, one thing that is not in question is uh, the biblical view of submission. Okay. So let's talk about that. Okay. Let's talk about submission. In cultural lunacy. pick up where we left off we were talking about the idea of what happens Josh was saying what happens with brothers and sisters in Christ and do do men in the church have automatic authority over you can correct me if I state this wrong but do men in the church have automatic authority over women in the church yeah, you stated it wrong. Okay, so you stated it the way you want to say it. Well, if I'm going to take your wording, the word that I would change there is authority. Um, I think what is I, – I, I know for sure that what I was expressing is automatic responsibility. And there's a difference between having authority and having responsibility. Um, okay. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Do men in the church have an automatic responsibility due to the submission structure – to treat women a specific way. And likewise, do women in the church have an automatic responsibility to treat men a certain way, to understand um, you know, the burden of uh, womanhood, to understand the burden of manhood, to understand how they connect to each other? Um, the reason why we get into this discussion is because the outworking of this discussion has oftentimes led to men subjugating women. And so I think uh, we have a tendency to swing the pendulum in one direction or another, right? Where people want to say, uh, well, we can't control ourselves, so we're going to prohibit it completely. But I don't think that's what the Bible calls us to. And I, I think Pastor Monty and I seem at odds on this. If I'm going to state Pastor Monty's position, and he will correct me, um, it's that that the only responsibility within the um within the church uh gender wise is only present within a family um and not present between brothers and sisters in Christ that's an oversimplification sure can you clarify well when we were when we were um when as we begin to look at this issue of submission from a scriptural standpoint 
submission is is specifically uh, we are specifically pinpointing the issue of submission within the role uh, within the roles set forth within a marriage relationship. So so now if you're going to go beyond that, then it becomes extrapolating um, the biblical position to other circumstances which are not specifically spoken to um, in Scripture, except where you have one or two passages where it says we are to be in submission to each other. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I think but, I, but I personally the, think that's a weak argument for the record, like in general to make about something. That's the same argument that people make in regard to – that's the same foundation for an argument that people make when um, somebody says Jesus never spoke of abortion. Um, okay, that's not what's being argued. And no, no, no. I'm just – I'm making a point because I, what I'm saying is just because something isn't explicitly stated doesn't mean that it's not – um, that it's not reasonable and even authoritative to act on based upon the normativity of the whole of Scripture as opposed to a single passage. I have no problem with that, except that the reality of it is that is extrapolating, and I'm simply stating that it's not specifically stated. It's okay within reason to extend it but i don't think that you could make that an arbitrary rule uh that we see in scripture so what do you think is a reasonable extension of the of the i don't know call it the structure of submission within scripture what do you think is reasonable within the body of christ between men and women who aren't married to each other well we do know that we Okay, so that's that's a good question, and and we do know that that there are passages which talk about we are to be in the body of Christ, we are to be in submission to one another. So if we go back to the understanding that as disciples of Christ, we have all died to sin and we're risen to Christ, and we're to be governed by the working of the Holy Spirit within us, then that reinforces the understanding that we are no longer to glorify self, but we are to operate within the body uh, with agape love and with with uh, with phileo love. So that being understood, that means that I'm not going to be thinking about lifting myself up, but I'm always going to be thinking about what is going to glorify Christ in my actions. Now, if you bear that out towards your brothers and sisters in Christ, then it's not a stretch, and I will agree with you to an extent, it's not a stretch then to say, do we find inside of Scripture uh, God lifting up and desiring role patterns to allow for there to be equilibrium and the lack of chaos in how the body operates? Okay, but I think it's even so, I think it's even more specific than just allowing for it. I think it's explicitly commanded. Show me where. Okay, so show let's... me where the extrapolation of that role specifically sure. says sure. it's to so, be extended. Okay, so let's talk about like First Corinthians fourteen, for instance. 
where the famous passage that people have often taken to subjugate, and it applies specifically to women within the church, and it also applies, interestingly enough, to the question of should women be allowed to be pastors, right? So when we look at 1 Corinthians 14, verses like 34 and on, and it says women should be silent during the church meetings. It's not proper, proper for them to, to, be, to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it's improper for women to speak in church meetings. So what's Paul referring to there? He's talking to the structure... He's talking about a cultural phenomenon. Uh, yes, but that cultural phenomenon is, is based on a biblical principle. It's not culture that evolved. It's not American culture. It's culture that evolved based upon God setting down that women, in general, are not the heads of the familial system. And then he takes that and he extends it outward to the church and says that women, in general, are not supposed to be the ones who are teaching. That's the, and that's because of how— that's because of how that connects to the familial system. So the point being is that the familial system and its implications is a microcosm of the macrocosm of the culture of the church. Well, in fairness, I, th I'm not going to disagree with you outright, but in, but in fairness, <laughs> okay, okay. In, in fairness the, the context of this situation is that the, in Jewish culture, uh, women and men were separated. Yeah, sure. And so, and so when they met, the women sat uh, uh, like in a balcony type of area, separated, and the men were down below receiving the teaching. And in 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 Christian circles, so as the community met for teaching in the synagogue with this setup, the women felt that they had freedom in Christ, and so when they began to question things, they were calling down and causing chaos within the meetings. Which is exactly what we're talking about. And so the Apostle Paul said, in order to alleviate that chaos, this is what needs to be understood. Right, and what he, so, says, what he says is that the familial function... What he says is that... Yeah, that doesn't disagree with what you're saying, Josh. Right, no, I know. It, it affirms what I'm saying. What it's saying is that the familial function extends outward and that it's that the gender that, that gender has a role to play in order and structure and that that comes from the familial function. And he even goes so far as to say, go back to your actual family unit if you want to, if you want to understand on a deeper level. And I agree that there's a social disruption that was taking place, and that's the reason why he makes this statement. But what does he call back to? He calls back to the order within the family to describe how the church should function in worship. So that right there... That, because, yes, I agree, and that was part of how the Apostle Paul understood his understanding of the world and how things were to be ordered uh, came out of his training... Um, in, in Jewish uh, culture and theology, so, so then, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying that there is the underlying understanding that if we apply it towards the body of Christ, it is an extrapolation 
not necessarily bad. I'm just saying it's an extrapolation uh, without direct command of how it's to operate within the body. Well, I'm just we do know that we do know that the body that there is not supposed to be. There's multiple instances in Scripture where we see the Apostle Paul dressing the issue of uh, uh, addressing the issue chaos within the uh, the local body as it functioned. And he made it very clear that the local body was not to be chaotic, whether it was in the whether it was in the distribution of the communion, whether it was in uh, how uh, uh, spiritual gifts were demonstrated. Uh, and now you could extrapolate that uh, how uh, relationships worked inside of the body. Okay. Well, I don't. I, I, I'm not extrapolating. Paul's extrapolating, and and I think that what you have here. I think did we just lose our video feed? All of a sudden, I see it's saying that's waiting for live video. Oh, okay. Um, I yeah, I'm not extrapolating. Paul's extrapolating, and and I think that what you have here is um a blueprint and then the application of that blueprint in, in the larger in the larger cultural context and so yeah i think it still says it's waiting for video by the way on my on my feed are we on yeah i see i see you fine josh and i don't have any uh anything telling me that it's not coming through. Well, that's not the case i don't see it so oh there we go we're back we're back okay um, okay, and the stream looks like the stream on YouTube is is starting again. Okay. It's just now starting. Okay, so anyway, the point the point that I was making was, I think that you have a, I agree with you that you have a small nugget of truth here that's being applied on a larger scale that's being put through the Jewish lens, but I also think that that we we have to hold on to that truth and look at its application. So no, I don't think that women shouldn't be able, for instance, to speak in, um, to speak in church, to ask questions or whatever, but they shouldn't be able to cause discord and that the application of, and, and, and specifically that, that the causing of, how do you say this? That the, that the causing of specific discord um, where women are uh, distracting from from the operations of the service in regard to their male counterparts within the church was an issue that Paul dealt with using the, the, the familial economy that God set up. And I think that, that, would, that that's cross-cultural. I think that he would do that no matter what culture it was, whether the American culture or whether the, the Hebrew culture – that that he would do that so it would look different in america but you're still going to see that there's a, a respect and submission um and that that yes starts that, that that starts in the family but it doesn't end in the family that it applies across the culture so men and women are supposed to have an interplay with each other where where respect is respect is um Let's see. Respect is given to the man in his in his application of church life, 
and love is given to the woman in 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 her application of church life. Yeah, and I don't I don't disagree with that, Josh. I just want to be very clear that we have a firm foundation uh, to move forward through in how we look at that. But specifically, uh, that course, means because, because because Josh, the tendency, as you alluded to, the tendency of many men is to take that a step further, which is incorrect, and think that they have the right to lord over uh, women of church, including brothers and sisters in Christ, not just their own wives. Sure, but that's a different issue, right? Well, it's a different, <laughs> yeah, it's a different issue, but it's inappropriate nonetheless. Right, but it's not inappropriate to think, this is, this is where, I, where I take issue with that. It's not inappropriate to think that men have a different and distinct position within the body of Christ that starts with the kernel that's developed in the family and blossoms into the blossoms into the actual culture of the church. It's not it's not it's not inappropriate to think that men are distinctly different from women and that there that there is a role separation and difference. They have different responsibilities to play. That's not inappropriate. And so it's it's baby with the bathwater to say that uh, only within the familial unit does a man have um, or a true distinction um, w that applies in submission to women. That's not that's not biblical. Well, I I think that but that it is biblical to point out, however, that the firm foundation for that is is uh, within the familial unit and then extended you can extend as we've discussed you can extend that outside of that except for the, within the understanding that um, men have no innate even within God's design men have no innate authority uh, over women uh, to tell them what to do or what they can't do. Again, I just feel like that's too sloppy. That's, I mean, that's, that's where I land, Josh. I, I, feel like, I feel like that's too sloppy. There have been too many men that abuse that. But that's not ever a reason to come to a conclusion. You can't come to a well, conclusion. Well, Scripture says specifically can't that to... women are to answer to their own husbands. You can't come to a conclusion based upon uh, the negative. I don't want this to be true, so therefore I'm going to say this is true. That's not what Scripture says, and that's not a good way to come to a conclusion. The way that the the way it is is that men and women are innately different. Even in the, in fact, going back all the way to Adam and Eve, right? That God made Adam and Eve different from each other, and that the men, the man, is the the head of that relationship, as Christ has his head, right? So what saves what saves people from their what saves men and women from having negative interactions isn't the fact that they're distinct and have different roles and that in those roles women would always be submissive to men that's not what saves them it's saying that that's not true what saves them is that in that submission there's a responsibility for men to love his wife to love the women in the church to love the females of god's creation in the way that christ loves them and so that means, that means dying for them. That means uh, 
like dying dying for them, washing their feet, um, lifting them up to status to to a adoptive status instead of uh, an ontological status, uh, you know, a status that's deserved on their own merit, so on and so forth. That I've no problem with that, Josh. I've no problem with that. Um, so long as it's within that understanding, I'm simply stating that there have been too many men within the church who have tried to uh, position themselves in such a way that it is detrimental to the body life, and they think that they have uh, an authority or a right to speak to women in such a way that um, that the Bible doesn't allow it. Yeah, but and I've actually had your mother has told me of instances where there have been people that have, you know, uh, come across in such a way that they thought that they had the right to tell her what to do because she was a woman. And it's like, no, you don't. I would argue that the proper response to that, the proper response to that is, a are you operating within the correct submission structure, right? So when God, when God says this is when, so for instance, when Paul speaks about women uh, disrupting the church service, he tells them go back into your core familiar familial structure in order to to get the resolution you need. So the first thing that I would say to that person is, uh, are you talking to my husband? You know, oh, are, that's are we, exactly. Yeah, and, and, that's then, and, then, yeah. and then the second thing I would say is, if you're going to take that responsibility in my life, are you loving me the way that Christ loves me? You know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even argue. Feeling. I wouldn't even argue whether that person has a, I don't know, has a different status on in terms of submission structure. You know, normally when you're dealing with that type of a person, Josh, they're. Uh... Yes, they they are lacking in several aspects of uh, whether they can even have the ability to carry on that conversation. Okay. Well, the point that I'm making is we have what, what we we're my, what we're addressing is that we're addressing this so that so that our listeners have an appropriate biblical understanding of this issue. Yeah, I get that. I, uh, what I'm worried about. Okay, so we don't we want to be careful. We don't get too far into the weeds. So let, we're coming what, up on an hour here. What, what for the benefit of our listeners, let's summarize what we've said, uh, so that we can move on in the specifics of submission. Why, All right. Why this is an issue? Why this is an issue to me, is because prohibition doesn't make problems go away. People, That's fine. People need direction. And so, first of all, I think it's, it's an unsubstantiated uh, claim to say that the Bible isn't normative, that a man's position is different than a woman's, and that that goes even outside the family. It extends, it extends from the family, but that it applies outside the family, that the men are supposed to be you know, protectors of women, that the men are responsible in multiple ways to provide, take care, so on and so forth, whether that is, and, and, and yeah, I know that that sounds uh, archaic, I suppose, but 
you know, it's the idea of a gentleman opening the door for a woman or, you know, that sort of thing, you know, like old, old ideas of like the old cowboy heroes or, or, uh, sure. chivalry. chivalry, gallantry and chivalry. I, I, I think that if you, that, that it's part of the deconstruction of manhood in particular, um, deconstruction of gender roles that says that, or it, it, it aids to it, that says that those things should only exist within the familial structure. If the familial structure is the blueprint for society, oh, okay. if the familial structure is the blueprint for society, then society should follow suit. And I worry oh, that I worry that we are not going to be able to teach our men, and now I'm talking about our children, right? That we are not going to be able to teach our men how to treat women responsibly when we say that they're that the beginning of their responsible treatment of women is when they have a wife. The truth is, it's not when they have a wife. It's from the moment that they come into this world, they must treat women differently. They have to treat them as if they have a different, uh, they have a different role to play, and their job is to enable that role in a loving way, the way that Christ did. And when you say that that begins and extends only within a familial unit, then that severely retards the growth of that man. That is my position. Okay. 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 Are, are you finished? Well, you asked me to summarize. No, I said we were going to summarize. Yeah, I figured that we would both summarize. We have you and I. Right. So I just went. Okay. So I, I believe that what I hear, Josh, is that you're hung up on the word only. And I don't remember ever stating only. Well, you did. So you, I, you didn't use that word, but you stated, was, you didn't use that word, but you stated specifically that men do not, not allow have. Allow me to finish. Okay. Allow me to finish. The foundation, foundationally, when looking at scripture, foundationally, within the argument of submission, I'm laying a proper foundation, and then we can step off from that foundation. That foundation's so been we, laid. That foundation's so where been we laid. See scripture, no, no, so where we see Scripture the strongest is within the context of the familial unit, and that is what I'm discussing, because the overall context of, of, uh, of this discussion under cultural lunacy has to do with the issue of marriage in general but that's not what we're submission discussing being a today part of the marriage, submission being a part of the marriage relationship and that's fine but that's that's not what we set aside time today to discuss we set aside time yeah today. yeah but i'm just saying that but, but that i'm just saying the context is that now you're saying you want to discuss further uh, the implication for the overall body of Christ. That's what we talked about last week. I'm not in disagreement with anything that you said. Okay, but what you... Don't me in position to where I said only, because I didn't say only. You didn't say only, but I'm clarifying because you have made multiple statements that questioned whether a man outside of a marriage relationship has a responsibility to treat women 
the way that he would within a marriage relationship. Actually, I didn't even argue that. All I said is, and you tell me that I'm approaching it from a negative standpoint, maybe that's because I see it as negative. I have run into too many men who are lax in their understanding of what Scripture actually says, and they try to lord over women simply because they're a man. They can overlord over them even though they have no connection. And, and if that's you, simply not true. And if you want to ruin the possibility for men to know better, then just teach them they don't have any responsibility at all unless they're in a marriage that, relationship. That, you know, that's not what I said, and that's not – that's not where I would go with that. That's why I said, based upon our discussion, I'm in agreement with you that the Apostle Paul clearly lays out an understanding of how the body of Christ is to operate, and he relies upon his understanding that there is not to be chaos inside of the body, but there is to be the foundation of understanding God's creation. Would you so say... From that point, the brothers and sisters in Christ, first of all, are to be in submission to one another. Mm -hmm. And second of all... Following which guideline, for the record? What does submission look like? Well, submission has to do with um, putting your selfish interest aside. Right, but I'm and saying, like, if you have a man... And operate within, and operate within uh, agape love towards your brother or sister in Christ. I understand. So, I, I, again, I'm just concerned with the outworking of it. I guess my question is, in your mind, so you have a man and a woman, you know, um, yeah, you have a man and a woman. And a man sees that there is a problem, you know, with the way that the, the woman is behaving, that somehow she falls out of line with Scripture. He can find the Scripture and, and point it out to her. So he does okay. that. So he does that, and he says, in admonishment, you need to stop behaving this way. Um, is it wrong of him to say that the way that a, an older brother would or the way that a father would? Uh, when that woman has a father? Or does that actually fall in line with his responsibility to her? Being a man and her being a woman, he has a responsibility to treat her as a father would or a uh, brother would. Well, as a sister in Christ, he has a responsibility to say to her, you're in violation of Scripture. Okay. And, no problem with that. Okay. And, and then how about, um, like, uh, Providence? So let's say that she he has... Doesn't, he doesn't have to... Well, there's a different economy present um, when talking about uh, an instance like this, because from a scriptural standpoint, uh, as a brother in Christ, he has a responsibility to point out from Scripture... Right. Where somebody is in violation of scripture. Right. Okay. And, and he doesn't have to go he doesn't have to go to her father in order to do that because uh, because this isn't a familial issue. This has this happens to be a biblical issue which is in the economy of the body of Christ. If he went to her father 
and talk to her father about a biblical issue, then he would be guilty of gossip. Uh, I mean, that's... I, I feel like that's a sloppy judgment, but... Okay, well, I, you, you can feel it's sloppy or not. Not, not to that's bring... My thing. Not to bring... He doesn't have... He doesn't have the, what scripture tells us is that if you see your brother or sister doing something incorrectly, you are to go to them and to speak to them from scripture. Sure. Direct. Sure. But you that... don't need a mediator. This is, we're not talking, this is where, you know, uh, scripture supersedes all culture. I don't you know. Don't... How, I, I'm confused how you can hold that position and then hold that her father is still the head of her if she's not married and therefore uh and therefore well, let's, okay so let's extend your example josh okay. now we're not talking about a biblical issue sure or she's not acting biblically but you've got somebody in the church who sees that um this young lady is uh is hanging around uh with somebody who he doesn't like her to. So maybe there's like a potential for danger, but there isn't anything bad going on. Yeah. Okay. It's not, it's not a biblical scriptural issue. It's a, it's a, uh, that, that is not his, it's not his responsibility to say to her, you stop hanging around with that guy because I don't like it. Sure. That would be an overreach. Would that be an overreach? That's, his, that's her, that's her father, her parents, responsibility because she's under his authority is it is it outside of his responsibility before god to say to her with authority not with an overreach of authority but with authority i disapprove of your actions i want you to stop these things based on these principles because See, I, I would you. never come to i would never come from the position of an an i statement in that circumstance why not I would say that this that it is the scripture that speaks. And if I'm speaking to a brother or sister in Christ, but scripture, I would say, scripture doesn't speak to abortion. Uh, no, it doesn't because So would you uh, say would you say because that's not there's no legal precedent within scripture and it doesn't speak about it, would you say that telling somebody, you know, I don't want you to get an abortion, I don't think that scripture uh, says that this is right. And I think that it's wrong, and you'll stand in judgment before it. And as your brother or even a father in Christ, I I forbid it. Do you think that's would, overreach? No, no. I would I would be first of all, you can't forbid it. Second of all, you can forbid it. It um, just doesn't have authority, like the governor, right? Well, okay. <laughs> Here's the thing, Josh. I wouldn't address the abortion. I would be more concerned about addressing the fornication that brought the need for abortion if the woman is outside of the bonds of marriage. You're, more, than, you're more concerned marriage, with, with the, sex if, than if murder? If it's outside of the bonds of marriage, if it's inside the bond of marriage, clearly this guy has no authority to speak because this woman is under her husband. You're right, but we're, we're the, that wasn't what we were talking about. She, she the implication... That... You can voice, you know, to, to your sister in Christ, you can tell, you can... As a friend and as a brother in Christ, you can clearly say, um, Scripture doesn't indicate to me that this is something you should be doing. Why, why can you not be bold? I, I, just, I don't think that any sort of opinion should be given as anything more than opinion. 
unless you're bold. And on a circumstance like this, where you really feel that somebody's doing something wrong, it's not a feeling. You have a responsibility to speak boldly to them. Um, you know, I'm going to come across from the position of I don't have, except for my pastoral authority or the authority I have as a husband with my with my wife and my daughter, I don't pretend to tell anybody what to do. I don't I don't if, get why. If, if because I don't. No, if I know no no I know you don't. I just don't get if, why. If scripture if scripture speaks to it, then I address it. If it's my opinion, if I'm in a relationship with an individual and they ask me to for my opinion on how to address something, I will give them my opinion and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to them. But to tell them what to do or to, as you put it, speak boldly, I don't do that. That's not me. Okay. I, I think that, and maybe this is something we can address at a different time, but I think that the scripture is replete with several circumstances where our where where it says over and over and over again, not only in command but in in um, story, uh, like I'm thinking of Eli, for instance, and his kids, Phineas and Ferb, and I'm, I'm it's not Phineas and Ferb, it's Phineas and something else. I just can't remember the other guy's name, but um, where scripture is replete that our responsibility is to admonish, and that means to speak boldly, to teach, to convict so on and so forth, that we're supposed to speak from conviction. It is my conviction that this is wrong. It's my conviction that this is the right direction. It's my conviction. All of these things. I'm not saying that you lift yourself up to the, to the standard of Scripture. I'm saying that you rest in the standard of Scripture and you apply it in a bold way. And I think that we're going to have a lot of difficulty. You know, we come from even my generation, your generation and my generation, we like rest on the laurels of a generation um, where truth was fairly obvious because of the things that were happening. But now, you know, like um, coming off of like the different wars and things like that. But now that we're in a place where discernment is really, really called for, um, where truth is not obvious at all, uh, we need now more than ever to listen to the concept of directive teaching, directive boldness, lest we suffer the consequences of Eli, where his children, you know, ruined, I mean, they, they ruined his legacy. And, and there was massive judgment that everybody knew about. Everybody knew what his children were doing. And he asks, why? Why did this happen? Why? And he's looking for philosophy to understand it when he really should have been dealing with what? What they were doing, and he should have told them that they were wrong, and he stood in judgment for it because he refused to be bold with them. I don't see how that's germane to our discussion. I'm not saying that you don't speak when somebody is in violation of Scripture. I'm not saying that you don't speak when somebody is going to act in a way where the consequences are going to be devastating to their life. but Like when we're talking about have, abortion? But you have to have the appropriate relationship and context to be able to do that if you want what you say to be heard. Perhaps that's where we're differing because I view the uh, – I view – 
that the biblical relationship and context is the church. That's it. If you are another brother and sister in Christ, in my understanding, my conviction, and I will speak boldly, if you are another brother and sister in Christ, then when you believe that God has a word for somebody, then that's all you need to approach them. You don't need to be sitting closer to them in a church pew or having gone to church with them for several years or to have a one-on-one discipleship relationship with them. All you need is the fact that they believe and that you believe. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with that. So if your conviction is that you're going to speak boldly into somebody's life, then knock yourself out. I personally tend to be more cautious of that. And that could be just from the standpoint that I've had too many people try to stick their nose in my business and they had no business doing so. It's definitely an ironic twist. (laughs) It, It is an ironic twist. Nonetheless, as I said, God put me in the position of being a pastor and I will speak into people's lives from what scripture has to say. And I will come from a scriptural position. I, I'm not, for the record, I'm not saying anything different. I'm not saying that you speak into somebody's lives from a non-scriptural position. Uh, well, I'm, no, I'm not, and I'm, I'm, you're right, and I understand that you're not. Okay. I'm just saying that if it isn't biblical in nature, and it's a matter of I wouldn't do that, um, then <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm more likely to say to somebody. You need to ask yourself the question, not what would Jesus do, what would Pastor Monty do? Okay, I don't know that that's going to ever be the truth. (laughs) And I think that the definition of what's biblical uh, should be expanded beyond the literal text of the Bible. Obviously, abortion's not biblical. You know, all of our—okay, Josh, so here this comes back to an understanding of how we deal with things. And everybody's, first of all, your consequence, all actions have consequence. Right. And so the disciple of Christ has to be very careful about actions related to consequence. Of course. So you got to count the for, cost. So as I so as I said before, um, you know, we're talking about really some some weird in my mind, some weird out there stuff. Because if somebody uh, is considering abortion, if they're a disciple of Christ and they're considering abortion and they're not married, the larger issue for me is not the issue of abortion, uh, although we would discuss it. The real issue is what are you doing out there fornicating uh, instead of, uh, you know, keeping yourself pure as a member of the body of Christ? God's word specifically speaks to fornication. When you say the larger issue, you're referring to the fact that that's more of a perspective issue, but that the obviously the are you saying that you would deal with the perspective when you have such a um, you have such a presentation of the problem that you know you can't you can't get around it? Like like obviously like you're not saying that you would not try to deal with the abortion factor first. Oh, I would. Well, I, well, that's the obvious thing in front of me. Okay. But I would have Just to. Sure. I would. I would have to lay down the foundation for why it is that I'm going to come to the conclusion I'm going to come to. 
Sure. But I'm not. But I'm not in a position to say to the young woman that is in that circumstance. You know, I forbid you to have an abortion. Well, I mean, I I think that you can say that's, that. That's I, just... I think I can think I think you can say that Scripture forbids her, and that you're in line with Scripture. I think you can say that. I don't think you can say that outside of scripture. I can say I can say to somebody there's going to be a consequence for Why would there be a consequence? There's going to be a consequence <laughs> for taking that action that you're going to answer to God uh, for there are other avenues available <laughs> to you. When does scripture when when does anybody how to deal with when, this issue? When does anybody in scripture giving admonishment speak that way? When does Paul say, okay, guys, just my opinion, but there's going to be a consequence for this action? In relation to uh, getting married. Uh, uh, that, no, 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 no. He, he doesn't state that as a negative for the record. And we're talking about an, we're talking about an action that's sinful, okay? This, I just, that's not. First Corinthians that's, chapter 7. Yes, but you know that that doesn't apply. You know that that's not what we're talking about. But, no, it isn't. You're even laughing about it because you know it's not true. For those, says, for those listening, for those opinion. listening to the podcast and not seeing Pastor Monty, he's chuckling about it because he knows that it's not true and it doesn't apply. That's not what we're talking about. When when Paul sees something that's detrimental, he reaches into the fire. Oh, that's what Jude says. Reach into the fire. Sorry. But when Paul sees something that's detrimental, he's passionate about it. He's bold about it. And he tells us to speak with conviction. They all do. This is something that's lost on the church. It really is. It's something that's lost on the church. How are we supposed well, to be if you're holy in this, okay. and set apart if we don't I'm not going to argue that. I'm just telling you, if you feel that conviction, then you speak with boldness and tell that woman, what she can and can't do. I'll tell I'm her. Not gonna, I would tell I'm her to go and say no more. What God's word has to say, what the consequences of our, our actions are, and then I'm going to say, you need to make a decision. Are you going to follow uh, God's word, or are you going to deal with the consequences? I mean, Jesus sums it up, and I think when you listen to the generality of what we're saying, we're saying the same thing. You're just not saying it in a bold way. But... You know, Jesus sums it up when he says, Woman, where are your accusers? If they're not going to convict you, then I won't. Go and sin no more. Right? But there's still. Well, I, that... suppose this comes, I suppose it comes down, Josh, to uh, maybe people are beginning to get a little more in depth picture of who I am as an individual. I'm going to speak boldly and clearly when God's word specifically speaks boldly. And clearly, but I'm going to be cautious in those areas where I don't believe I have a right to, um, whether I do or not, I don't believe I have a right to tell other people what to do. I don't think it has anything to do with having a right. And I think that I'm you should, saying, be, I think from my perspective, and I don't want people to get the wrong perspective about it. I'm sure if you're listening to this and you're not considering everything that I'm saying, I probably come off as incredibly misogynistic right now, you know, because I'm talking about how the male responsibility toward the woman is this and so on and so forth. And, and I'm, and I'm coming across, you know, like, I don't know, 
I don't know what it would be, but I'm coming across probably in a really negative way because I'm saying you speak the truth no matter what and, you know, damn the consequences. Like, I want to be clear. The reason why you speak boldly is not because you have an authority to speak boldly. It's because if you don't, you will be judged. So you have to be cautious. You have to be cautious in everything. So you got to choose the right way to speak and the right time to speak because you're being judged for what you do in another person's life. I'm actually holding myself to a much higher standard. I'm saying that I don't relegate the responsibility to speak into another person's life to whether they are my biological family. And I'm saying I don't relegate the responsibility to when I am, uh, when I am personally convicted. I'm saying regardless of whether they're my family, regardless of whether I'm personally convicted, I need to be bold in my caring for that person and my speaking into their life. That's what I'm saying. That's a very difficult position to hold. So don't think that I'm just over here throwing around power. It's not how I live my life, if you know me, and it's not how I, that's why I say it's kind of ironic that Pastor, Mo, like I said, it's an ironic twist because I'm known for being a lot more careful than Pastor Monty is. So it's really interesting to hear this, this dialogue, I think. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Josh, again, uh, if I see somebody that's in that circumstance, I'm not going to confront that person without first establishing some type of a relationship. If a person comes to me and says, I found myself in this circumstance, I don't know what to do, this is what I'm considering, I'm going to have a very in-depth conversation with that individual. And yeah, we're going to talk about the fact that uh, depending on where they are in their pregnancy and they're ready to pop, how are they going to deal with that? Um, and I will be direct and bold in saying what Scripture has to say and understanding the consequences. But you will never, never hear me tell somebody outside of my line of authority what they can or cannot do. Never. What are we talking about next week? Uh, next week, we're going to be in Second Thessalonians and looking more at uh, the responsibility of the church. And we will uh, finish up or at least move towards finishing up our discussion on submission. Cool. Um, are we, should I close it out? Uh, yeah, I think, I think that we're done. Um, do we still have people that are listening? Yeah. We even have some comments. I, it just didn't seem germane. I can read them. Uh, let's see. Lucy Brown says, The letters of Paul with regards to submission are specific to roles. Taking care of the body is for everyone. No specific with opposite genders. I think I demonstrated that that's not completely true. Um, it's not false. It's just not It's not as black and white as you might want it to be. Uh, Lucy Brown says, I am a woman. When I was single, I have not put myself in subjection to any man, especially a married man. There is tremendous danger in putting oneself in such a vulnerable situation. I think I demonstrated that's not exactly how it's supposed to be either. Um, you, I think that's, I, I mean, I think that that's good advice in general, but as you, if you're able to operate in, in maturity, there's a lot more nuances to it. Heidi Parker says you should, or you speak with conviction from God and they get convicted by God, but be bold, exclamation mm -hmm. point. Um, okay. 
But anyway, as you can see, like, even from somebody like Pastor Monty and I, and we're father and son, so we have a lot of experience with each other, there is a lot to discuss. Just because people are in the same, um, I don't know what it would be, lane, are in the same lane with each other, doesn't necessarily mean that they agree completely, and it also doesn't mean that when they agree, there isn't nuance for discussion, um, which is really what we're discussing. We're discussing the nuances of things. So, and you know, this came up before, Josh. The wonderful thing about that is that while you and I discuss the various the various nuances, we still love each other. Yeah, and we don't personalize. Well, it's not like and... after this episode, Pastor Monty all of a sudden gets canceled. <laughs> <laughs> don't no, worry, no, we'll be back next week. <laughs> And the, and the reason I point that out is because some people are under the impression that you can't have an involved discussion and and still love each other and still right. uh, be on the same. We're on the same track. It's just that, you know, we're defining that between us, uh, how it is that we perceive. Actually, that is what the church needs today. Right. We're supposed to be fully convinced, and that's really what we're arguing for, right? And that's that's the concept that I think makes shows like this, and we're not the only ones doing it, um, shows like this something worth listening to, is when people are arguing for their conviction, um, that helps you because you can hear both sides of something, and you can ask questions, and you can really sort of see the depths of things when people have strong positions and they're fully convinced, which is a good reason why you should watch debates and things like that. Uh, but, yes, let's go ahead and close the show. Well, I, want, I want to thank our listeners for uh, for hanging with us over the normal a lot of time. Right. Totally. All right. Well, so if you're see- – if you're um, seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith, if you're new to Jesus Christ or the Bible, we want to help you. So check out the help tab uh, at abfpdx.org. And remember that we're always open to questions. Pastor Monty is ready and waiting to deliver some sage advice and insight. So don't be shy. And uh, the Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and it's a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, a resource developed by Project Vigilance, ABF's web portal that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church, local, and at large. And if you want to be a part of the VRN and what we are doing here, you can join Vigilance Radio Network's Facebook page to get access to all of our shows, including Culture Insanity, all of our kids' shows like Wake Up Cadre and The Bible with Pastor Adam, our weekly sermon, and Nightlight Radio, and uh, comment on questions in real time. Speaking of Nightlight Radio, join us this Thursday night, live at 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., we have been discussing some real interesting topics lately. Last week, uh, I think we discussed, what, nightmares and suicide and, like, all sorts of just topics that maybe you wouldn't hear a church discussion, uh, discussing. Um, if you have things you want to talk about, you can send us uh, an anonymous form. You can PM us and DM us and all sorts of different things to, to – uh, to um, get a subject to us, and we'll discuss it on the air for you. So that's Thursday nights, 9 p.m. 
to 11. If you've enjoyed Truth Time, consider supporting us. Our network and shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. So head over to abfpdx.org and click the Donate tab, because even a dollar a month would be put to good use for the gospel. And if you're poor like us, that's cool too. You can still partner with us by remembering to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You can always find it on ABF's YouTube page, Instagram, and Facebook, and the VRN Facebook group. Take a second to visit the group page so that you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week. And remember, that content is shared on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. So we will see you next Tuesday at 11 a.m. I am Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF. And this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.